Amen. Before I get started this morning, I wanted to just thank Matt Brown, who's not here right now, but he uh, was here last week giving testimony. Uh, Matt Brown's one of our members, and uh, instead of a sermon, he gave testimony to his journey across the Atlantic Ocean, which he rode across last year, and uh, ended up getting the world record for rowing across the Atlantic Ocean, and um, wove kind of his life story into that last week and uh, shared that with us. And I want to encourage you, if you missed last Sunday, to go online and take a listen, because it was really uh, amazing to hear uh, what, what God is doing in his life now and continues to do, actually, but uh, just the, the incredible journey that he was on. And those of you, you know, sometimes when I talk about my cycling exploits, you know, going long distances, I get these funny looks like, you're crazy. Well, I don't want any more of those funny looks because rowing across the Atlantic Ocean is a whole nother scale of crazy. So, uh, so Matt's the crazy these days, all right? My, what I do, they're just strolls around the park uh, in comparison. Um, now, we're in, speaking of epic journeys, we're going through the book of Revelation. And uh, I know that uh, as we go through this, um, and some of you might be just joining today, so this will be like jumping into the middle of it. Um, some of you have been with us. Um, there's just a lot going on, and it feels a little bit like crossing the ocean, and maybe you kind of have trouble getting your bearings sometimes. So I'm going to uh, share with you uh, just a little bit of a, we're going to get a little into uh, the weeds for a moment here. So for some of you, this will be too much information. Just relax. Don't worry about it. For those of you who have been trying to orient yourself in what's happening, this might help you a little bit. So uh, this is a timeline of what the Bible teaches is happening throughout history leading up to the new heaven and the new earth, which is the eternal state there on the right. We're living in what's called the church age. Uh, this age ends with what's called the tribulation. It's sort of like the birth pangs of the new the new what's to come, new heaven, new earth. And the tribulation is marked by the return of Christ at the end of it and the resurrection of the believers. And there's some debate about some of these things, but uh, there's a millennium that's talked about. So one way to look at it is there's a thousand-year reign of Jesus uh, through this period of time. And then at the end of that, the unbelievers, those who have not come to faith in Christ, are raised up, um, that judgment that you've always heard about sort of happens, the, the throne room, and then it leads into the eternal state, the new heaven and the new earth. And when we go through the book of Revelation, you're probably at times trying to grasp where does all this fit? How does it fit together? So let me just throw up a couple of little blocks here to help you orient where we are in the book of Revelation. So uh, on the first slide, um, if, we, if we'll see that the introduction... And uh, we're going off the screen a little bit. So that's chapters 1 and 2. The introduction um, was where John, um, who wrote the book of Revelation, uh, receives this vision and it describes the process of that. Then in the next chapters, 3 and 4, uh, he, talks, he writes letters uh, to the churches in the area and, um, and, and, and sort of gives them admonishment and encouragement. And then chapters five, uh, 4 and 5, we have the throne room. Uh, and this is where uh, we get this incredible uh, picture of the heavenly realm and, and God at the center and Jesus, who's called the Lamb, comes and takes the scroll, which is the plan of redemption, and unfolds it. He's the only one worthy to do that, to bring, a, bring about the consummation of history and, and the redemption of all things. And that sort of, that, that vision of the throne room expands all 
the way across this whole book, really. It sort of overlays the whole thing. Uh, and then in the part that we're looking at right here, starting today, you've got these three sevens, seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowls. And they describe essentially the same moment in time, which is the end of the church age and the tribulation. So this is the part I wanted to point out to you today, uh, is that over the next uh, few times, we're going to be looking at these seals today, the seven seals, and then the seven trumpets and the seven bowls, and the, it, it leads us to um, this, this moment right here. Now, I'm going to put up the rest of the book just so you get a picture of it, but we won't, I won't. So what happens, there's a little interlude, and we, we have these, uh, so there's actually seven signs here, and then Jesus comes back, and then we have the millennium discussed, and then we've got this, uh, this part of the resurrection of unbelievers in the throne room, and then it moves into, and I can't wait to get here, chapters 21 and 22, where it's this long description of the new heaven and the new earth. So I want uh, to just sort of lay that out there. I know it, for some it might be a little bit too, too much information for you. It's okay if you're trying to drink it all in. Um, I'll put this online so those of you who want to refer to it, um, you can. So today we're going to look at chapter 6. So why don't you open your Bible to chapter 6. Uh, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll pass one to you. Don't be shy about that. love for you to be able to actually follow along in the text. Chapter 6, uh, starting in verse 1. And I'll remind you where we are. We've been in the throne room most recently um, with, uh, with the, the one who's on the throne. That's um, God the Father. And he has this scroll that uh, outlines the plan of redemption. And there's, there's nobody who's worthy to open the scroll. It's got seven seals on it. And the scroll being unopened means that the redemptive plan of God is, is not being unfolded. And then, then the Lamb appears, who's Jesus Christ, and takes the scroll from the hand of God, from the one who's on the throne. And immediately, all of the heavenly beings bow down and start to worship the Lamb, Jesus. And so that's one of the most powerful statements about the divinity of Christ, because you're only supposed to worship God. And so we're in the throne room, and, and, and so now we're going to actually start to unravel the scroll. We're going to open the scroll, peeling off the seven seals. They would have been these little wax seals that are on a scroll to make sure that only the person with the right authority opens it up, and Jesus is that person. And so there are seven seals that we're going to look at today, and we're going to get into some pretty crazy stuff. I just have to warn you ahead of time. For example, we have the famous four horsemen. Anybody heard of the four horsemen of the apocalypse, right? That's what's happening uh, today in our text. And so some of you might remember from WWF back in the 80s, there were the four horsemen uh, of, of the wrestling. You know, I had a picture of them, actually, I was going to show you, but they're in Speedos, and it's like you can't unsee it once you see it. So I decided not to, uh, to just to spare you that. Um, there's also a Metallica song. Uh, called the Four Horsemen, you know? Anybody Metallica fans? I asked Miguel, um, you know, if we might consider using that today for worship. He said it's not very worshipful, so um, we decided not to do that. All right, uh, and then those are the last of the jokes, because now it's going to get very serious as we talk about the end of the world, right? So just bear with me. Um, chapter 6, verse 1. Then I saw the Lamb open one of the seven seals. And I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come, 
I looked, and there was a white horse. Its rider held a bow. A crown was given to him, and he went out as a conqueror in order to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. Then another horse went out, a fiery red one, and its rider was allowed to take peace from the earth so that people would slaughter one another. And a large sword was given to him. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked, and there was a black horse. Its rider held a set of scales in his hand. Then I heard something like a voice among the four living creatures say, A quart of wheat for a denarius. That's very, very expensive, so it means there's a famine happening now. And three quarts of barley for a denarius, but do not harm the oil and the wine. And when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and there was a pale green horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following after him. They were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill by the sword, by famine, by plague, and by the wild animals of the earth. A couple of points that we want to make today. And the first one is simply this, that the world's going to get worse before it gets better. The world's going to get worse before it gets better. And it's a truth that we've got to settle into a little bit and, and grapple with and, and maybe prepare ourselves with, prepare our minds for the future. Uh, amazing um, description of these horses coming out, four of them. And um, By the way, this is you know why uh, we have this discipline of walking through books in Scripture? Because, you know, left to my own devices, I probably wouldn't have picked this Scripture for this morning, right? This is challenging stuff, and, and yet by being forced to kind of walk through it, we get the opportunity to get the whole counsel of God, everything that God is teaching us in this incredible Word. So these four horses come out towards the end of time, and as we get closer to the end, you can see that the forces of sin and evil are going to be allowed to run rampant, like these snorting, sweating, sinewy war horses who come out, and in them is contained conquest and war and famine and pestilence, sickness. And, and the result of, of all of it is going to be a quarter of the population is decimated. That's on the order of a, a billion and a half people in today's terms. More than... 200 years of wars that have gone before us. It's a haunting prospect that the Bible teaches here. Right? Some of you have sat with this and you felt the intensity and maybe the fear. Maybe as a little child, you heard about these things and it scared you. And so since then, you've just sort of had it rattling around in your head and, and not known what, to, what sense to make of it. Oftentimes these images come on their own, absent the very important hopeful part that is also present, and we'll get to that. But first, we have to just sort of sit in and grapple with what it says here, right here in the text, this haunting prospect. And, 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 and then to add more to it, look down in uh, verse 12. This is the sixth seal. Then I saw him open the sixth seal. A violent earthquake occurred. So We've got all this happening, and now the, the, the world itself is going to go into tumult. The sun turned black like a sackcloth made of hair. It was a, 
That was a sackcloth that was for mourning in particular. You can imagine that covering over the sun. The entire moon became like blood. The stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its unripe figs when shaken by a high wind. The sky was split apart like a scroll being rolled up and every mountain and island was moved from its place. Then the kings of the earth, the nobles, the generals, the rich, the powerful, and every slave and free person hid in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of the one seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, because the great day of their wrath has come. And who is able to stand? So you've got the releasing of of sin. Now, isn't it true that, I mean, the world could be a lot worse than it is right now, right? I mean, it's bad, but if God were not restraining sin and evil in this world, it could be a lot worse than it currently is. And what happens towards the end of time, as we move towards the birth of this new heaven, there's like these birth pangs, and sin and evil are unleashed. They get to to go their way, and and that's what's pictured in the four horsemen, these fiery, sinewy, um, strong uh, war horses come out, and they have their way with the world. But what ends up being even more scary than that, it says, is that then um, the, 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 the mountains are moved and the islands are moved, and, and then there's this picture of the wrath of the one who's on the throne and the Lamb. Now, we're into some deep stuff here. I, I know we all have an emotional, we should, reaction to that term wrath, and so we've got to understand and, uh, and comprehend a little bit what's going on here. Now, on the one hand, it's actually really good that God stands against evil and sin in this world. That's what his wrath is. It's the counterbalance to the evil and the sin in this world. It's the right, righteous reaction to all that is wrong in this world. And that's a good thing. Otherwise, there would be no check. There would be nothing to stand against, really all hell breaking loose, literally, in our midst. So we like that. The only problem is that because we ourselves are sinners, we have the sense of awe and fear that comes with potentially being caught up in the wrath of God. And that's what the people in the sixth seal are saying. They're saying, of all the craziness that's going on, the the horses are unleashed, the mountains are coming down, but in it all, I just want to be hid away from the wrath of God. So the wrath of God is is like this double-edged sword where we want it and we need it because without it, you've got no eternal state. You've got no heaven. You've got no new heaven, new earth. You can't. And yet at the same time, it induces that kind of strain and stress and fear in us, which it is natural, which it, it should do. And what the text is saying is that all of this is going to go down from one to the next as we move towards the final birthing of the new heaven and the new earth. And for many of us, it's a striking image and a bit overwhelming. We have probably three different reactions we can have to this. You can dismiss it altogether and say, well, that's, 
not something I'm going to choose to believe in or accept as, as reality. You can say, well, that's interesting. I've never heard this before. Uh, I need to explore it some more. Maybe some of you who are in that process of seeking the things of faith, this is new information, right? And you listen to this and you go, wow, how can that fit in with everything that I've learned so far? And rightfully, you ought to take time to explore and try to understand in a nuanced way what is happening here. And then there is this one other option. It is to latch on to the Lamb and to join what will become the overcomers in the tribulation. It's a main theme in this book that there is a way to overcome all that is going to happen. And that's what we turn to. We'll see it in the fifth seal and then the interlude in the text that we're looking at. Look with me in the fifth seal. The world gets worse before it gets better. With Christ, you can overcome. Verse 9, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slaughtered because of the word of God and the testimony they had given. They cried out with a loud voice, Lord, the one who is holy and true, how long until you judge those who live on the earth and avenge our blood? There's this, this deep, heart, human longing cry for justice in the earth. That's what we all have. We want that desperately. So they were each given a white robe and they were told to rest a little while longer until the number would be completed of their fellow servants and their brothers and sisters who were going to be killed just as they had been. There are a couple of groups in this hopeful side with Christ, you can overcome. Um, the first one is uh, this group of martyrs. It's a main theme in the book of Revelation that we overcome through death. Death leads to overcoming. That's the story of Jesus Christ. It's the story that he calls his followers to walk along. Um, you must die to yourself. Um, take up your cross and follow me, Jesus says. And so you see uh, in this, the, that same call, the martyr is called, and the martyr is the victor. And it's an important theme in the Bible. And it's one that is probably not a felt need for us because we live in a time and a place where there are very few true physical martyrs around us. We, 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 we have the freedom to express our faith, and it's a precious gift that we have. But there are places in the world right now where people don't have that freedom. In fact, uh, Kevin was mentioning that in his scripture reading this morning, there was a, a couple who just left here uh, not too long ago and, and had that experience where they were interrogated upon returning home to their natural country. And so uh, we know that for many people, there is this challenge to their faith. And the Bible teaches us how we respond to that and how if it happens to us at some point, we're, we're to respond. And the call is for us to be unafraid of physically losing our lives, to be ready to give it all up, for the sake of Christ. Christ honors the martyr. Um, scripture honors the martyr. And we ought to keep a space in our mind for the potential eventuality that that could be us. To be ready to respond, no matter what happens. So that's the first group. And, 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 and God's promise to the martyr is that he will protect. He will watch over 
he will bring justice. The second group is probably the group that we're more likely to be a part of, and it's described in chapter 7. Um, let me read the first part of that. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, restraining the four winds of the earth, so that no wind could blow on the earth or on the sea or on any tree. So this is before the tribulation starts. There's, there's, there's a pause. Then I saw another angel rising up from the east who had the seal of the living God. He cried out in a loud voice to the four angels who were allowed to harm the earth and the sea. Don't harm the earth or the sea or the trees, and listen to this, until we seal the servants of our God on their foreheads. Now, um, it, it, it sounds a little gruesome to be sealed on your forehead, but that's not the intent here. The intent is to communicate a sense of belonging and allegiance and protection, ultimately. And so those who are described as being sealed are, in a kind of a play on the terms, are being sealed from the tribulation that is to come. They're being sealed in the midst of the tribulation that is to come. Verse 9, after this I looked, and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne, and along with the elders and the four living creatures, they fell face down before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Now there's some debate about who these people are. Um, there are two camps. One camp says that the people described in the first few verses of chapter 7 are the people of Israel, and those described from verse 9 on are the church. There's another group of interpreters who say there's just one people of God, and these are all the people of God. And I align myself with that second group because I see that throughout the New Testament we're moving towards there being one people of God and all of the nations coming together. And so it seems incongruent for them to be split here in this place. But if you have a different view on that, if you've developed a view on that, we can all love one another. It's not that big of a deal. The main point here is that God is going to protect his people. He's going to watch over his people. He is going to see his people through this incredible birth pang that is taking place at the end of all things. He will be faithful. And the, the list of 144,000 there in, in verse 4 has to do with perfect completion. God will see that all the people that he has wanted to come in will be brought in. It's, it's perfect. It's 12 times 12, which is a, a perfect completion. Uh, and there's a picture of them on the earth there. And then in, in verses 9, it's a picture of the people of God as they reside in heaven. And this people, and here's one of the key points that we keep hitting in the book of Revelation, this people is a people who are from every nation tribe, people, 
and language. And so they're all brought together under one banner into the family of God, to the people of God. Last week, uh, Pastor Dante and I had the privilege of going to a theology conference for our group of churches, our denomination. And the subject matter was um, compassion and justice. And it was one of the great uh, conferences that I've been to with our group of churches because they had invited uh, John Perkins and and Carl Ellis Jr. and um, Doug Sweeney was one of the the teachers and, and on it went. Now, John Perkins is a contemporary of Martin Luther King Jr. and uh, African-American pastor who has fought for Compassion Ministries, and, and he started uh, CCDA, which is an organization that works in uh, the inner cities and does some amazing work, and uh, just a real privilege and an honor for us to be with these teachers. Uh, in fact, I was, I was in, John Perkins is 87 years old, and I was in the restroom, and we were both washing our hands, and, and his suspenders were twisted, and he leans over and he says, could you straighten out my suspenders for me? It was like one of the greatest honors of my, my time was to straighten out the suspenders of uh, John Perkins. The whole, everybody in the restroom like rushed just to make sure I had done it properly, you know, and it was good. Uh, anyway, this guy was, was, uh, it was, it was amazing to see, um, uh, just to be with him. He talked a lot about uh, dignity and that being the center of the all people's vision and how we come together in that. He talked uh, a lot about many other things that I want to make available to you, and it's going to be available to you. Um, Carl Ellis uh, Jr. talked about uh, the, the, the variation in uh, how our context shapes sometimes the way, the emphasis of our theology, and how that comes into the race conversation, and that was a super powerful, uh, helpful talk. And then Doug Sweeney talked about the history of the United States as pertains to race issues and went through a lot of detail, that I, some of which I had never heard before. Um, this is all amazing stuff that we're going to make available to you as soon as it comes available. Because here's the thing. We're in this stage in time where, uh, you know, we, maybe we don't have people in slavery and we've abolished the Jim Crow laws, but we're still seeing issues of the heart affecting our ability to live into the all-people's vision, the heavenly all-people's vision. And, and here's the amazing thing. The matters of the heart are the domain of the gospel. The gospel has the power to transform the heart, unlike anything else. And so the church really needs to be leading the way at this moment because we have the power of the gospel. And so as, as we, we read about this vision of the, the all peoples um, before the Lamb, it's something that we're being called to live into right now as a key way that people are going to even around us see the power of the gospel right now. Because it's hard for people to sometimes see it, to imagine it in the future. But if there's an image, a picture of people from every tribe and language coming together to worship God now, then that has the power to speak volumes. And so we hope and pray that we're going to lean into this, that the heavenly vision will become the earthly vision as God enables us to lean into it over the next phase. So this beautiful multitude, it says, is clothed in white. You ask, well, what does it mean? In in that day when 
Soldiers would come back from war. If they were victorious, they would be clothed in white robes and they would march in through the city and it would be a parade of victory. And so this beautiful multitude of people has been gathered together and they are marching in a victory parade in the midst of all that has gone on because God has seen them through. He has protected them through the painful birth pangs of this broken creation as it becomes the new heaven and the new earth. In fact, in the last few verses, and I'll finish with this, verse 13 through 17, we see a description of this beautiful multitude as they march in before the throne. One of the elders, if you were here the other weeks, you know that it seems that John is, is next to the elders and, and they're having this conversation. Then one of the elders asked John, who are these people in white robes and where do they come from? And John said to him, sir, you know. Then he, the elder, this angelic being, told me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. There it is. So for all the fear that we might have as we look to the future, for all the concern, the anxiety that we might have, this is the answer. These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Now that's not possible. But again, we have the book of Revelation sort of straining the boundaries of language to communicate what's actually going on here. You can't wash robes in blood and have them come out white, but you can have the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, for you, cleanse you from all sin, and that's what it's saying, and thus make it so that you can enter in to the new heaven and the new earth, because you've been made righteous. And so that whole wrath thing has been averted. It's been put on Jesus instead of you, and you're freed so that you can be in the presence of a holy, awesome, righteous God. And that's good news. That's beautiful news. That is news that is unshakable. No matter how many islands get tossed into the sea or mountains get mowed down, that remains true. The work of Christ is untouchable. And when we come to Jesus in faith, we're saying, I want that for me. Yes. Verse 15, for this reason they are before the throne of God and they serve Him day and night in His temple. The one seated on the throne will shelter them. They will no longer hunger. They will no longer thirst. The sun will no longer strike them, nor will any scorching heat. For the Lamb who is at the center of the throne will shepherd them. Everything is so turned upside down that now the Lamb shepherds. You see that? God is reversing all that's broken and wrong in this world. He will guide them to springs of the waters of life. This sounds like Psalm 23. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. 
Lord, we desperately want to be a part of that vast multitude, and we are so grateful that by faith in Jesus Christ, we are welcomed into that vast multitude. And for anybody this morning who has yet to place their faith in Christ, thank you that you are listening right now and that simply, inwardly, a word of, of yes is sufficient. Sufficient to be under the care of this amazing Lamb who shepherds, to be washed and cleansed. And we don't want to stop there. This gospel is so good. It's not just for the the future only. It's it's for right now. And we think about the all people's vision. And we ask, Lord, that you would enable us and empower us to live into that vision even now that we might become a testimony of heaven here in this place. As you make it possible for us to overcome the barriers of history and culture that keep getting in the way of the all people's vision. The good news of the gospel is that we are co-heirs in Christ. And Lord, as some of us face uncertainties and challenges and fearful things in life right now, would you remind us that if what you have done is enough to take us through the tribulation, then you will take us through this moment as well. You are powerful enough and good enough and strong enough and loving enough. And you have sealed your people. You have brought them under your shelter. For this, we worship you and we praise you. 